Support for the Scouted Football Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Join the movement for all your below-the-waist grooming needs. Get 20% off and free delivery with the code SCOUTED20 at manscaped.com. Hello, welcome back Scouted Football Podcast fans. It is that time of the week, time to get our teeth into some of the under-23 football scouting tactics and whatever this week has thrown up in the world of football. Um, Whether you're listening at home, on your commute, uh, as you work out or just out on a little stroll, all of us as Scouted appreciate massively you taking the time out to support our work. Uh, But that's enough of the niceties. It's pod time uh, and this week we return to Germany where there is some managerial chopping and changing both now and at the end of the season. Um, The big one, though, is Marco Rosa switching Borussia Mönchengladbach, uh, who he guided to the Champions League knockouts this season, for Borussia Dortmund, uh, replacing Edin Terzic, who has been in interim charge since Lucien Favre's sacking earlier this season. That managerial transfer will take place later this year when the season comes to a close. Uh, And it's one that's exciting for a number of reasons, uh, which we'll get into in due course. Um, First, though, and and without further ado, it's time to introduce this week's guest. Um, I'm delighted to say that uh, Jasmine Baba is on the scouted panel, joining us from Germany as well. So very authentic to be discussing uh, a German topic on the pod. Um, Jasmine is a footballing consultant, editor, writer, uh, owner of many fine football shirts, past and present, has to be said. Um, she's a regular on the World Football Index podcast, uh, which I implore any world football fans to check out. Um, but that's me drawing on long enough. Um, Jasmine, how are things with you? Oh, they're good. Uh, busy. Uh, I think we have all, well, not had enough of club football, but it's definitely wearing me down. <laughs> I think it's a Bundesliga story after Bundesliga story at the moment, and I can't actually keep up anymore. Yeah, it is. Um, we, we've seen a lot of discussion around whether players are tired of sort of the congested schedule, but spare a thought for, for people like you and I, you know, <laughs> who are just trying to keep keep up to date. Yeah, just really never ending. But the funniest thing was that when the international break was going ahead, I just went, I don't know what my life is without club football. I want it back. I just almost like I can't really take a break. I'm not sure what exactly I'm going to do during the summer. Yeah, well, I mean, of course, it's it's it'll be the the, the European Championships and and the um the under twenty one Euros, uh, the knockout rounds are on just before that. So, I mean, if you if you do find yourself at a loose end, I'm sure we could do with the extra help it's scouted to say the least. But um, in terms of um, you know, you know, you you live in Germany, you obviously have a very involved life in terms of football. How did that? How did that that all come about? I still ask myself that same question because I was not from a footballing background at all. I was actually in school for music in in my uni years. I dropped out because it didn't feel right. Worked in retail, really average, like retail, then customer service. Went into um, gambling customer service and worked on website content for a while. Uh, Then went to another firm, worked on website content, which was more like writing byline, short little editorials. And then around two years, two, three years ago now, I landed an editorial role in the gambling industry. And that's when 
kind of writing and editorial became my main expertise. Um, I got to work with loads of amazing people who wrote for us on um, the site and also started producing podcasts. And uh, sometime last year, I kind of felt like I had run myself into a dead end and I was writing more at the time. So I tried to just mix it all up, uh, came to Germany and then I ended up as a editor for the International Football Institute, which is also quite researching based as well. So I do quite a lot of scouting in my free time. Um, and yeah, somehow just landed here, just reporting loads of little things you might not hear from Germany or you do hear, but you know, sometimes us little folk can get out a story first. <laughs> I know, I know what you mean. Um, <laughs> would it would it be fair to say that you have um, you developed some sort of a, an affinity with with Borussia Mönchengladbach in that time? Then, yeah, I think I, I especially being in England, I've always that a lot of football is accessible, and I've always dipped in and out with German football. It's always been my favorite second league. Well, it's pr- probably now my first favorite league, but after the Premier League, the one that I watched the most. But it was only in the last like two, three years again that when I was working um, that I got to more, I had more time to watch it, needed to know a little bit more. And I think Borussia Mönchengladbach, especially when Rosa came in, was actually quite fun and everyone was talking about them. So I started to follow them from there. And I think anyone who's been in England knows the kind of love for either bigger teams who win stuff, so like Bayern Munich, or if Dortmund had a massive kind of fan base and so did Schalke, and I'm not one to go with the crowd, so I went with um, Mönchengladbach instead. A little bit avant-garde then. Yeah, yeah, and like you see some of the players that you could fit into your own team, so in my case was Arsenal, and you have, um, especially with Marcus Turam, player, Zakaria, uh, you could see them fitting like a glove in Arsenal's philosophy and especially in the days of Arsene Wenger, what he would have done with those kind of youngest players, maybe unearthed players. And uh, I think if he had his kind of, if he was still at the club and still had his eye on the German league, I mean, he brought Granit Xhaka over, which I know can cause some controversy, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but Granit Xhaka at the time, it was amazing what he had done for Arsenal because the, there's some stats that you can deep dive and be like, well, you can't take this stat out of context because, you know, you don't know the teams they faced and that's that and this and that. But there's an amazing stat and it was only became untrue, I think, when Arsenal beat Man United this year, earlier in the season, that it was the first game that they had won away without Granite Jacker since three months before Granite Jacker joined Arsenal. Which, oh, right. Okay. That's, yeah. I mean, that was something that I was completely unaware of. I know. Um, and so. Yeah. And you can say like, oh, you don't know what teams they face at the time. But if you have a, a, a stat running for around three years like that, that is not to do with what teams you face. That is a player influence. 
Yeah, exactly. That's no coincidence there. Um, I remember I saw a, a bit of data viz um, a, a little while back. It may have, might have actually been last week, but um, there was there was a bit where it was to I think it was progressive midfield passes, and, and Granite Xhaka was very much up there with your Manuel Locatelli's, your Danny Parejo's, um, you know those types of players. And there was a little sort of label next to it, which which just had shock, which <laughs> <laughs> next to Xhaka's next to Xhaka's name, and you thought, well, I mean, it is a bit, but at the same time, if you sort of viewed Arsenal games through that lens and you sort of looked out for that for those progressive passes then yeah actually he does show up very well and I think sometimes it is those um those underlying things that players sometimes don't get the credit for um but in terms of uh today's podcast topic that is that is of course Borussia Mönchengladbach uh, Marco Rosa and and the move that he's going to make to Borussia Dortmund uh, in the summer so there's a a, a fair little a fair bit to, to unpack there um but I, I put the plan to you and we discussed it and sort of we, we decided that um, we, we'd do sort of a, a little brief summary um, to begin with. Um, and I think because of the the amount of content that we will have to get through and sort of permutations <laughs> and whatnot, it'll probably be best to sort of gloss over this. But um, for anybody who wasn't aware, you know, Borussia Mönchengladbach, you know, their heyday was in the 1970s. Um, you know, they won a, a flurry of European titles. They got to a number of finals. Um, but then over the last five years or so, they had Andre Schubert um, at, at the helm as the manager. They finished fourth in 2016. Uh, then Dieter Hecking took over, uh, back-to-back ninth-place finishes, and then a fifth-place finish in 2019 before Marco Rosa took over. Um, whereas with Borussia Dortmund, they obviously had uh, Thomas Tuchel uh, between July 2015 and May 2017, a second-place and a third place finish there. Uh, then they went through a little bit of managerial turmoil with Peter Bos and, and Peter Stoger um, in 2017 and 18. And then Lucien Favre took over, um, oversaw back-to-back uh, second place finishes behind Bayern Munich, of course. But there was just that festering discontent there that there wasn't really enough going on in, in the way of the, the Borussia Dortmund way. So I think... If you, I mean, Jasmine, if you'd like to sort of do the the, the summary of Marco Rosa's time, um, because I think his his route to to, to top level football management has been um, has been an interesting one. Quite a few subplots and and um, uh, quite a few interesting characters that he's come across along the way. Yeah, I mean, him as Salzburg manager, well, under eighteen, so that's why he came after Leipzig, not the RB Leipzig, but the smaller Leipzig team. Um, He's done really well, basically won the youth league, the UEFA youth league, as well as the Austrian under-18 league. So he did the double. Um, And it it was a real surprise for that team. I mean, we know what Red Bull, as a kind of farm, sister club, everything that they can do. And they've just done an amazing job. I know I sound a bit bit propaganda-y here, but... um, the way that they've set up this kind of farming system is pretty amazing and really um, started to get on the map at around that time, I would say. So he won the double in his first season and around, I think, the that year, he then got promoted to Red Bull Salzburg manager, which was quite a surprise um, because everyone in the running thought the assistant coach, I can't remember the name, I forgot to write it down, but um, there was an assistant coach at the time that everyone was expecting to go up. Um, his time at Red Bull Salzburg manager was really quite unbelievable when you think about his unbeaten at home record throughout the two years he was there. Um, 
he did an amazing job because he got the Bundesliga title and also went through the to the Europa League semis in his first year, beating his now new club um, Borussia Dortmund on the route. Um, but also things that get glossed over during his first year, especially, is that he took a while to get going. Um, I think it wasn't until the 15th match week in that year that until they actually took first place lead, uh, which for Red Bull Salzburg in the Austrian Bundesliga was actually quite a shock and it was quite slow. Um, They've had some dominance over that league for some time. So he has shown that he still has, has some flaws even from his Salzburg tenor that we can't really gloss over. In Salzburg, he also didn't qualify for the Champions League in his two years there. Um, the first manager to do that after that was um, Jesse Marsh. But obviously after his two years, two um, Austrian Bundesliga titles, he got um, the Borussia Mönchengladbach job, where it's been... <laughs> Quite a wild ride. The first season he was there after Dieter Hecking was a really interesting one because they led the the table in the Bundesliga after a few weeks and they wouldn't just let it up. And I think they were, compared to Dieter Hecking's Gladbach, they were more intensive. They brought in um, reinforcements in Stefan Leiner and Marcus Taram. It was something that worked to his style really, really well, or what is supposedly his style. Um, and they made the Champions League. Now, I'm their form after the COVID suspension wasn't the best. They lost Dennis Sicaria for a good nine months. He didn't come back until eight, uh, November, just gone. Uh, so they didn't have their squad to what they normally like. This season has been completely different. There's obviously, there was a slight overperformance from them from the year before. Um, there's obviously COVID, a tired out squad from Champions League. And it seems like none of Rose's past managerial qualities, tactically or man management, hasn't seemed to work. And with the announcement of him going to Dortmund, completely cut that man management aspect to the Gladbach falling through the table that we see at the at the present moment which is quite bad for them in terms of being so good and getting Europe two years in a row to Mm. not having any Europe is is still a blow no matter what Oh, actually, we know what manager will come in next, but yeah. <laughs> I keep on forgetting that the deal is done, looks to be done, and I can't really speculate any longer. But yeah, that that the the speculation part of this podcast has kind of been thrown out the window by the the news that that came out this week that that Adi Hütter, of course, Eintracht Frankfurt's manager, um, is is very likely to become uh, the Borussia Mönchengladbach manager, taking over the helm from Marco Rosa next season. Um, but yeah, I think that summary of Rosa's sort of career, uh, his managerial career to date, has been. I mean, it's it's exactly what I would have said. You know, it's he's he's taken 
players who are, I think, especially in the Munchen Gladbach case, you know, he's taking players who weren't stars and made them into, you know, very, very saleable assets. You know, you look at the likes of Stefan Leiner and, and Marcus Turam, who you mentioned, and, you know, Turam was coming from Gangon. And don't get me wrong, he was very good there, but he was, you know, he, he I think Rosa and his team certainly identified a player in a, in a relatively poor Ligue 1 team as they were at the time. And, you know, playing him on that left, in that left forward role has just opened up, especially in that first season, opened up so many possibilities. And, you know, rightly so, they became a Champions League club as a result. Um, and obviously with with Stefan Leiner, um, even the likes of Hannes Wolf, um, you know, he brought them to Gladbach from um, from different clubs because he'd worked with them both at, at Salzburg. Um, and I think that's something that we'll get onto uh, in a little bit, um, sort of speculating over whether there'll be players going to... Um, going to Borussia Dortmund from Gladbach, um, following Rosa there. Um, but in terms of from, from your, from your Gladbach sort of sphere, from your, from the, the lens that you're viewing this, this managerial transfer through, what, what are your initial sort of thoughts and feelings on, on Marco Rosa? First of all, it being announced so early while the season's still ongoing, but then how, how, how are you going to, how are you going to cope with, with, with him being at another club? Um, I think he was, specifically good for Gladbach and I think everything was suited there I think everyone really believed in Rose's Gladbach now I I am a fan of him I'm a fan of him being Gladbach manager but I'm not gonna put on green white and black glasses and tell you he's the best manager to ever um, come to Gladbach I think there are certain flaws of his game I think especially I wrote a piece this season where we still describe Gladbach as a high intensity team and that's not really the truth at at all even last season even though they were better at it you couldn't really class them as a high intensity team and people seem to have this idea that Rose is very counter-attacking high intensity but um, it suited at Red, uh, Red Bull Salzburg because of the players that they had. I think the players that they had there were just basically Mönchengladbach's team, but on in performance-enhancing drugs to fit that <laughs> to, to fit that like kind of style. There was no way he couldn't be that. And when he came into Gladbach, he when he brought Liner into Rome, that was two people to really push that kind of tactic and it hasn't really come off I mean they're still in most key um, in most KPIs of being that sort of team they're under league average so um, his experiment and his tactical mouse is it's still just slightly lacking I mean you know not everyone's going to be a Thomas Tuchel not everyone's going to be a Pep Guardiola not everyone will have the the kind of brain, tactical brain to know how to set up against the low block and keep beating them repeatedly. But we're not seeing any kind of one strong suit that maybe Dortmund need. I'm personally, um, actually, I think we're going to get onto that. So I won't ruin you asking me. Because... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I, I, I think um, because Dieter Hecking was so possessional based and I think it was such a change 
um, it, Rose might have struggled a bit to really put his stamp on if he had a stamp. I think one of his best qualities is his man management, which is why when the the Dortmund news was broke out that it tumbled quite fastly. But I think this is what worries me. Um, does Gladbach need to go more to what they were under Dieter Hecking, where they were quite solid? Or do they need to go even more counter-attacking? And their players, who will, they, who will remain and what kind of structure will they fit? Yeah, essentially, you know, from what I've gathered um, from from watching little bits and pieces of, of Gladbach, I mean, particularly in Europe, is that you know they're they're a team who who play aggressively. Obviously, those wide forwards that I mentioned, um, players like Florian Neuhaus, who who are you know have the ability to to pick locks essentially and 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 break teams down um, with, with you know real creative quality. Um, but I think. One of the things that myself sort of being based in the UK and not watching a Marco Rosa team every week is that the things that we read are that, you know, that, that there is this perceived tactics and perceived style that, that you've obviously just touched on there. Um, would you say that, you know, that's been that's been a particular draw for, for the Dortmund hierarchy, you know, that, that they, they, they've identified Rosa as a potential manager that they think is, is somebody who might align more closely with what, with what they want on the pitch, because obviously that was one of the reasons that Lucien Favre left was that he was it was perceived that he wasn't getting the best out of the you know the fantastic young players that that they've got there at Dortmund. Is is Marco Rosa the man to to? I mean, it's a very macro question, but is Marco Rosa the man to to appease the Dortmund hierarchy purely by playing? I don't know, maybe more attractive football. Probably not. Um. <laughs> I, I I get I, I get criticised for coming off a bit too pessimistic, but I, I only feel that I say what's the truth, what the truth is, and I think especially Rose's Garbach. I think Rose's Garbach in general hasn't been great in possession. They struggled to find solutions in possession. They like in all of their kind of games this season they've done better where they haven't had the ball and have tried to attack from suddenly recovering a second a second ball or something so um it depends on really what Dortmund want which to be honest they've had a massive clop shaped um clop shaped hole like chip on the shoulder even and since then, they've seemed to struggle of knowing what they want. Um, like, they probably had... I mean, they had Thomas Tuchel, the, the only manager who has won something under Dortmund since Klopp left. And they couldn't stick with him because he wasn't... You know, we all know what Tuchel is like with senior members of the board. He can be quite... Um, hard to work with but he's one of the best managers out there especially tactically and you know it happened with Peter Bosch because the Peter Bosch experiment didn't work the Lucien Favre thing didn't work and I don't wouldn't I wouldn't say Rose is better or worse than um Lucien Favre so I think it's more to do with the actual character and the charismatic side of Marco Rosa, um, 
But what's interesting about that, if you're going for the more man management and charismatic side of it, is that they still want to keep Edin Terzic about, and that's going to make things quite awkward because um, Edin Terzic gets along with all the club, the board, the players, and you don't see that a lot, especially during, like, across the Dortmund players. There's there's almost a spat every other month. Um, So if they have got inference man management, but they all kind of go to Terzic more, is that going to become a problem when things start to go wrong? Because inevitably they will. You're not always going yeah. through a good patch, you know, unless you're, again, no, even the, the best managers go through bad phases. It's how you get out of them. And I don't see how that kind of relationship is going to work at Dortmund. Potentially some clashing person personalities then, um, which I think I mean, uh, show me a, show me a football club which thrives when there are clashing personalities. I mean, I don't think there are too many um, that do. But um, it's interesting that you be- you mentioned the the, the clop shaped hole or, or rather chip on the shoulder um, at the beginning there because you know, it's it's interesting the relationship that, that Jurgen Klopp and, and Marco Rosa have shared, and that was because Rosa was essentially a it's Zwei Bundesliga, a lower league, not not journeyman, but sort of he, he did he wasn't really going to sort of break into the upper echelons of German football um, until Jurgen Klopp brought him in in, in his Mainz team and and sort of um, they worked together for a few years. So yeah, there's 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 some element of of Klopp disciple there, which I think I've read. I mean, I'm not sure I completely believe it um, from from what I've seen, um, but I think. There's there's certainly um, a, a semantic pull there in terms of uh, w- what Dortmund might want to get back because of course you know Jurgen Klopp and Borussia Dortmund they were the glory days um, so you can see why it would be tempting and it would be a, an attractive proposition to bring in somebody who has worked closely with with Klopp um, but onto um, onto sort of the, uh, the the question over whether Borussia Mönchengladbach might see some of their players leave to join Marco Rosa at Borussia Dortmund. I mean, of course, this is purely speculation, but, you know, you you mentioned his man management and how that's possibly one of the, the, the more redeeming aspects of his managerial skill set. And you think, well, you look at the... I mean, qualifying for the Champions League with that the squad that he did the season before last, of course, you know, it's it's a very big achievement. But at the same time, you know, the, as we mentioned earlier, they weren't world beaters. So he clearly did get a lot out of the, the tools that he had at his disposal. Um, I mean, I'm looking at the sort of the under 23 players in particular because, you know, they'd they'd fit to the, the age demographic that there is at Dortmund. Um, although I will say, you know, you, how, you can't build a title winning... T- at the risk of sounding like Alan Hansen, um, you, know, you can't build a, a title-winning team nowadays, perhaps without at least a bit of experience. Um, and just sort of looking down the Dortmund squad list, you know, you you have the likes of you know Jude Bellingham, Erling Haaland, Yusuf Makoko, Gio Morena, Jaden Sancho. You know, all of these players, fantastically talented, but all under twenty-three. Um, c- could you perhaps see, you know? Dortmund maybe moving for some of these Gladbach players who who worked really well under uh, under Rosa, or is that something which is you know it's too far in the future for for us to even predict? Well, this is the thing. Marco Rosa says he wouldn't do this, but um, I think we all know from a football perspective when someone says they won't do this or that, it tends to happen more often than not. Um, 
I think it also depends on who Dortmund lose. I think that's a very massive step on them bringing whoever Rosa wants into the team. There's obviously the likes of Sancho, as you said, Holland, um, the two most likeliest to leave, uh, especially Holland, if they don't end up with Champions League football next season. Um, then there's the money of, I think, going into, if they end up in the Europa League this season, wouldn't be the worst um, financial situation or player pulling situation, but I think they would lose the likes of Jane Sancho and um, and uh, Holland. So then it's up to the board if they want to take Gladbach players or they think they're a right fit. Uh, there's two things. So there's one, that's one. The second is if Marco Rosa has much pulling power at Gladbach. Because it seems to be that he's lost some of the players. It's not like the players don't play for him or play against the club. But I don't think a lot of them maybe perhaps believe in his team that he's going to be at Dortmund at the moment. I mean, we can only speculate what's gone on behind closed doors and at that club. But I don't think... He has much pulling power over some of them, especially when the brightest talents, let's say Sicario from Gladbach, Neuhaus, have um, kind of rumours about them surrounding with the, like, the likes of Man City and Bayern. Um, they won't have as much pulling power as those two clubs. So um, I actually think it's more likely to be the older ones that would possibly take a chance with him. Um, but... They might just be like, it honestly depends on how his pulling power's gone, really, because I don't know if any, I think, I can see a few of the more talented ones, if they don't receive an offer, they would go join him, because it's still Dortmund at the end of the day, mm. but you've got so much talent there, like, okay, Jaden Sancho goes, okay, you've got Knauf ready to go, and that's and then you've got Mukoku ready to go. I know he's injured at the moment, but that's still an amazing squad. And I don't think Dortmund will want to spend that much more on Gladbach players because they know the quality that they've got. Yeah, certainly. I mean, my, my next question was sort of going to be, uh, okay, then, um, you know, where does this leave Borussia Mönchengladbach? But now knowing that, that Adi Hütter is, is, is likely going to be there, I suppose that does kind of clear things up. And um, I, I saw I saw a tweet from Karen Tawani, who uh, has, has been on this podcast before to discuss uh, the, the Red Bull clubs, um, that uh, he, he posted a tweet uh, about Adi Hütter and, and the work that he's done with, with strikers before. Uh, and, you know, the, the goals tallies that they've got. I mean, just this season, you know, Andre Silva at Frankfurt has done fantastically well under Hütter. Um, you know, there was the, 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 the famous duo of, of Seb Haller and, and Luka Jovic a couple of seasons back, and they were, they were particularly prolific uh, during that sort of Europa League run that they had. Um, and even going further back to sort of Jonathan Soriano at Red Bull Salzburg, mm-hmm. who remarkably got 46 goals and 49 appearances um all of these players playing under Adi Hutter so I suppose that's where it leaves Borussia Mönchengladbach um not exactly in a bad spot um you know taking a, a manager from a club who are currently higher than, than them in the table um but by way of sort of young players coming through at, at, at Gladbach uh, would you say that there are any that 
say people should be should be taking note of you know are, are there any canals at, at, at Gladbach are there any Makokos at, at Gladbach that, that we should be uh, keeping an eye on there's um actually that's really interesting because with Adi Hutter now going to Gladbach I wonder if more players would be more um more like willing to stay just because of how good of a manager he is. They've seen, as you said, rightly said, they've seen what he's done at Salzburg. They've seen what he's done at um, Frankfurt this season. And I remember that Europa League run very, very um, clearly because uh, there was a few bad results at the Emirates against them. (laughs) (laughs) There was indeed, yeah. (laughs) We um, also have a joke about Daichi Kamada as an Arsenal legend. Um, So... (laughs) But yeah, there's uh, two in particular that I really like the look of and glad that coming that they've got in the youth ranks, um, younger players. It's so firstly, uh, you don't hear much of young players in defence, but uh, Jordan Bayer is one that he came actually got some game time just due to the suspensions and injuries Gladbach have had in defence. Um, and he looks like a good prospect. He wants to play at fullback, but he is a centre-back at the moment. Um, but yeah, he's a 20-year-old. He cost, uh, he's worth around £2 million And um, yeah, he's a centre-back. And he looks quite comfortable on the ball. And it's someone that he probably wouldn't push out uh, Ginter or Zeddy at the moment. But he is a very exciting one to watch. Um, the other one is Rocco Reeds, and he caused a little bit of outrage, not him himself, but another 18-year-old who's centre midfielder, and um, he's a little bit on the short side, but he's very, very technical. Um, so the outrage he caused was that when they were against Man City and basically down and out in the Champions League, Everyone wanted Rosa to put him on to actually, you know, get some game time, show him off a bit, um, but he didn't. So um, it's a little bit of it's a, it was a little bit sad that we've not seen more of him this season. But he's a good um, central midfielder, which could be like with the likes of probably Zakaria Neuhaus leaving. He's a good one to then make that step up into um, the middle of the pitch. All right, I see. I mean, I had I'd come across uh, Jordan Bear before, but I hadn't heard Rocco Reitz. Oh, I, I, I'm disappointed in myself actually because that's a fantastic name first and foremost, <laughs> uh, and also that's the type of player that I I do sort of become attached to. Um, but I suppose if he hasn't really been playing very much for for Gladbach, I uh, just had a look there. He's only got the one Bundesliga appearance. Um, then yeah, I can sort of I can see why. But um, you know, there's. If it, usually you can tell um, within a club's fan base who the best players are because you know there's 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 rightly so there's excitement around them. So if there's if there's a bit of intrigue around them there, then uh, sorry around Reitz there, then yeah, I think um, he certainly he he could be one that could that, that could benefit from sort of the tutelage of of Adi Hütter um, given his track record with young players and, and obviously the the Salzburg Lincoln connection. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'll keep those two sort of in my back pocket, but. Um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's good to know that obviously that it, it doesn't completely leave Gladbach in a bad spot if they um, if they do end up selling you know Zakaria or or Neuhaus or, or those types of players.
Get 20% off and free delivery with the code SCOUTED20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free delivery at manscaped.com. Use code SCOUTED20. Your balls will thank you. I suppose that takes us on to sort of a, a Borussia Dortmund forecast then and, and back to, to Marco Rosa because, I mean, we, we discussed the, um, the the young players that Dortmund have and, you know, the I mean, we could probably do an episode on them alone. I mean, we certainly could um, because there are just so many uh, and, and they're all so, I mean, they, it's it's like... They're all lined up just waiting and be like, oh, they're probably just being like, I hope Sancho, Bellingham and, and Holland will leave. So then let's we got the next lot up. When you ha- hear the, like, the Manchester United uh, rumours over uh, Sancho, just like, just skip him if he costs too much and just go c- for Knauf instead. He's, he's amazing. Well, they basically did that, didn't they? But just instead got Ahmad Traore. But um, yeah, that's, I mean, it, it cost them probably about 40% of what Sancho would have. But and uh, yeah, uh, I mean... We're not saying that, that Ahmad Traore is going to get 15 goals and 15 assists that next season. That's not what we're saying. But um, yeah, I, I know what you mean. Like there is just a conveyor belt of just players who are ready to step in. And I was really surprised when I sort of looked at the teams for the, the Manchester City quarterfinal. Um, and I just saw Knauf there and I thought, I mean, yeah, OK, fine. Um, Edin Terzic clearly knows his stuff. He thinks that he's going to be ready to just be thrown in there. But I mean, there's... I mean, even before we get onto the Hollands and the Rainers um, and, and the Bellinghams, you know, as you mentioned, rightly so, the, the Knaufs, I mean, they, they, they just are so well stocked with young players. But I suppose for me, sort of from the outside looking in, I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, OK, Marco Rosa, he's worked wonders with, with Red Bull Salzburg, admittedly took some time to get off the ground, but started to do well there. Um, he's done well with sort of players 24 and under at Gladbach, you know. I'm, I, I, if I'm if I'm Michael Zork, I'm looking at that, thinking, well, uh, is 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 Marco Rosa the man I'm, I'm, I need to to galvanise this young team into uh, genuine title contenders rather than the the perpetual nearly men that that they've come to be known post Klopp? I don't know. I think there's loads of managers they could have gone, and I could have answered a little bit more um, coherently about it. Like a part of me is like, if they wanted a genuine genuine title contenders uh okay they probably did go for Nagelsmann couldn't get him um mm. why not adding Hutto <laughs> just give yeah, him true. Um, because look here's a guy who obviously he didn't just he did it in front of everyone he was beating Dortmund at their own game it's like from my perspective that would have been my next move you either get the best okay the best said no then you go to the second best who's beating you and beating your spot into the Champions League, um, who fits in the same sl- sort of philosophy as well. You know, more Bundesliga experience, more actually doing it right now, same sort of players, if more into youth bringing them up, which makes me think, is he not man- a man manager? Is he not getting on with those people? Because to me, that's kind of crazy that there was someone better suited and what that more people better suited and this was their pick in the end or maybe it was just too much money I don't know um but yeah unfortunately I do feel like Rose is gonna be another nearly men manager um only because he lacks the 
in possession tactics that he needs to actually challenge. And, you know, the, there's a number of tactics that you could have taken to any team in the Bundesliga. You've got Wolfsburg's kind of the highly defensive structure, which works really well. Um, Leipzig's just tactical flexibility. Uh, they don't, they don't have a out and out striker as they've wanted or had in Timo Werner, but has somehow mounted a title challenge. You know, you've got Frankfurt who's beating the best and has has basically been the second best team since they got one of their losses earlier in this season. And instead, you've got the one that probably fails in. The kind of a plan, a plan A, a plan B in possession, and you can't win everything with counterattacks because if you do that against the likes of Man City or Bayern, you're normally going to end up kind of on your ass. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably the 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 most sophisticated sophisticated way of putting it because that is just <laughs> that is just ha- that is just what happens. Like you 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 just can't. You can't help, but I mean, we've seen it a lot with Dortmund since they've taken um, Terzic in the interim role, but they do just forfeit possession a lot more. It does seem just so much more, sorry, much less refined than when you're watching a Bayern Munich, for example, uh, where everything's crisp and everything's sort of, um, you know, and, and to be fair, to the same extent, Leipzig, you know, everything is... Um, just so much more refined uh, to use the same word um, whereas with Dortmund there is there's more room for error and you do see that a little bit more I think if yeah from from my estimation of it is that yeah I think we'll probably see more of uh, the Terzic style uh, of, of Dortmund under Marco Rosa uh, than the Lucien Favre style um, which yes will probably make for entertaining football um, I think that for, for anybody from a neutral perspective um, we'll probably think that yeah you know we I mean we saw the, the Gladbach games against Real Madrid in the Champions League this season um, you know they were great fun from a neutral perspective but um, if you were a fan on the edge of your seat or at the edge of your sofa then I think you probably would have gone you, you wouldn't need a nail file put it that way um, I think yeah you'd um, you'd say very similar sort of style at, at, at Dortmund and that is actually, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of taking that into account of, you know, they're going to keep Holland and Sancho, which again looks unlikely given that they're going to have to breach a seven, eight point gap to to, to Frankfurt in fourth. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think the end of the end of the Bundesliga season is certainly going to be very interesting to see where these three managers and three teams end up, because obviously we know that they'll be taking on different roles on the first game of next season. Um, so, it does make for um for yeah for certainly for, for off pitch antics uh, does make for interesting reading um to say the least but um I was I just wanted to to get finally on Dortmund I wanted to get your your thoughts on on this but um you know hypothetically speaking and as we've discussed it's fairly unlikely but if there were no major incomings and outgoings uh, this summer at Dortmund how would you see Marco Rosa setting up this Dortmund team, as in the, the players who are there right now? In fact, you know, the better way to phrase that is, if Marco Rosa took over tomorrow and played in the next game, um, <laughs> how would how would Dortmund set up? Essentially, do do you do you see from based on what you've seen at, at Gladbach? I think I think I don't think it would be too far off what we're seeing with Terzic right now. Um, I'm gonna go with if there were no injuries. I think we'll see um, Hitz, Guerrero, Hummels, Ikanji, Mounier, um, then a two in front with Chan and Witzel, and then followed by the Sancho, Bellingham, Royce, Haaland. 
Um, I think that kind of fits his style pretty well, and it, it is very much what we've seen under Terzic um, quite a lot, the kind of setup and style, but I don't really see how else he would set it up. I could see him go up to the younger players every now, so a bit more of Mukoku, um, a bit more of Reina, a few more of those, like mixed around especially the substitutions um but yeah i think he kind of likes he's rose has been playing that four two three one quite a lot this season um only a, a few times he's changed it to more of a back three five three five two but i can't see him doing that when it probably suits him more to get more um just it's just easier to build up play with that and especially if you're coming from the back of counter-attack or if you're trying to be more high high intensity, then that's the kind of structure that you'll need with the players that he currently has. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of my, my that was roughly around my assessment of it was that, you know, if you if if you're looking at it sort of in depth, yes, of course. I mean, you could you could arguably say that that putting Rosa in instead of Terzic is perhaps the more fashionable. It's the sexier managerial signing. But <laughs> you know, are you are you and and believe me, hey Marco Rosa, if I, you know if I'm still looking that good at 46, then you know that's hey that, that's not I'm not it's not exactly going to be bad going from me. But um, if um you know just looking at sort of the the, the two styles that they have, you know. It, I, what are you gaining from sort of bringing in Rosa? Obviously, probably will be on more money. Um, you know, there's the greater expectation than bumping up the assistant. You know, that I, I, it does make me question the decision. But as as we've discussed, you know, it, it it's it, he's a name essentially. Um, yeah. So it's um, yeah, and and he does have the obviously the Salzburg pedigree, the the, the attractive football pedigree. So yeah, and, and I was just looking there, um, sort of at, at Gladbach's recent re- uh, results and. Since the um since the news broke that he would be leaving them, I think the run was I mean it's what nine seven def- nine nine losses. I think it might be nine in all competitions because yeah, Man City, DFB Pokal, and uh, um I kind of lost count. <laughs> and then, uh, they and then they, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say they needed Schalke to break that run, so it's not really, it wasn't really a fair assessment of, of you know whether the run had been broken or not. But um yeah, it's that does speak to, sort of to the man management aspect really doesn't it that you know as soon as that news broke you kind of do have I mean that it's too much of a coincidence to see that much of a, a marked drop-off without having any major injuries um so yeah, yeah. That, that'll be um that'll be that'll be interesting uh, to uh, see what what happens there a good indicator was what was happening in the Hertha match I think it was the Hertha match or the Freiburg match that um I think Kramer from the team has been the one of the loudest, most um, fire-startering ones in the team since the announcement. There's been loads of rumours about what he felt about it, and there's a few telling points that he's like, oh, we don't really need a lot of shouting at halftime to get us back on our feet and stuff like that. And you're just like, has he really lost them? There's a really good point is um in some of the post match press conferences with the with the players. And funnily enough, we don't see enough of Lars Stindl doing media appearances afterwards. You know, thirty two year old captain, you kind of probably want someone like that backing the coach at the moment. 
Yeah, a steady hand. Yeah, that would certainly allay any fears there. I'm, I'm just thinking, has Christoph Kramer essentially just done the, the Kanye West, uh, I don't need a manager, I can't be managed? And, and basically said that yeah we, we yeah we can we can sort ourselves out you know we, we don't need Marco Rosa who's who's ditching us for Dortmund um I, I, maybe maybe he is doing that but you know I, cu- I couldn't I couldn't possibly say with any certainty um, it would be funny if it was though but um yeah I'm just thinking I mean that is that is all that that we have then for for this week's podcast um I think we've we've delved into what could possibly and and I think probably will happen when when Marco Rosa takes over uh, at Dortmund um I think it's it's a managerial switch that that I and many others at face value, you know, we're, I think we're very excited about, but, um, you know, for, for, for Gladbach and, you know, for, for yourself, I'm sure it, it, I mean, especially now, given we've sort of delved into it, if he, if he returns to Borussia Park next season, takes all three points, it might be a little bit of a kick in the teeth. Um, but, but thank you very much to, to Jasmine for her, for insight into German football uh, and this particular topic. Uh, I know you're very busy at the moment, so I do really appreciate you um, you coming on to, to discuss this one with us. Um, and I'm, I'm certain that you know we'll be seeing a lot more sort of of this this managerial transfers saga, the, the Hutter Rosa Terzic saga play out a little bit more. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for for the background on Rosa and 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 what to expect really. Um, it, is there anything or anywhere you'd like to plug and, and and how can people find you on Twitter? Well, I'm on Twitter at underscore Jasmine Barber. Um, there's a link to my Medium page that I update every now and then there. But yeah, whatever I do, just kind of comes quite ad hoc. So if you follow me on there, then that's like your best chance of finding out what I'm doing next. Yeah, there's some fantastic tactics writing on there uh, regarding Frankfurt and what to expect uh, from Adi Hutter at Gladbach next season, um, if you check that out on Jasmine's timeline. Um, but also remember to check out Scouting Football on YouTube and Patreon, as well as on Twitter and Instagram as usual. Um, there's more exclusive content on the way from us, uh, as well as another handbook cycle, which will be just around the corner, so don't miss out on that. Um, I've been Joe Donahue, and this has been the Scouting Football Podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in. Stay safe, take care, and bye for now. We've gone years without using the right tools for the job. We've all been there, some manscaping ruined by a shaving accident. That's why Manscaped has just released the new Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer, which features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce those needless grooming accidents. It's even waterproof, so you can use it with ease in the shower. Complete with a USB charging stand, 90 minutes runtime, as well as 20% discount and free delivery when you use the code SCOUTED20. What are you waiting for? Make your testies your besties. (laughs) 